Hey everyone, Jeremy here, as always, uh, host of the Towards Data Science Podcast. I'm also on the team over at the Sharpest Minds Data Science Mentorship Program, and today's episode, we're talking to Sanyam Bhutani, who is a return guest. We don't have that many repeat guests yet, but he's one that I really wanted to have back on the podcast to talk a little bit about this idea of networking in data science. I think this is something that's super undervalued even today, um, especially in some ways because of COVID, since that's moved everything online. Uh, the idea of connecting in person, if you will, or at least uh, remotely or over video chat with people in the community, building a brand for yourself through those in-person interactions is really, really important. And I think it's something that's really undervalued. A lot of people seem to think that getting jobs in data science is a technical issue. You just have to kind of build up those technical skills, uh, be able to perform well during those technical interviews. But really, getting your foot in the door is as much about personal brand and who you know as anything else. And so there are a whole bunch of different ways you can approach this. Um, they differ depending on what your personality is like. So what, one thing I want to talk to Sanyam today about is the strategies he's found useful as an introvert. So we'll explore that. We'll talk a little bit about what networking looks like for introverts, what hacks you can use if you're a little bit more shy, and then what techniques you can use as well to leverage your extroversion if you're on the other side of that spectrum, if you're comfortable in large crowds, if you're comfortable talking to people on a regular basis, you know, how can you leverage that as well? A whole bunch of other stuff we'll be talking about as well, so I'm really looking forward to diving into this one. Thanks so much for watching, and here we go. Hi, everyone. We're here with uh, Sanyam Bhutani, who... Um, among a great many other things, is the host of the Chai Time Data Science Show. It's a really great podcast. Uh, I've been on it. Um, my co-founder, Ed's been on it. Um, almost everyone I know has been on it at this point. He's, he's just been really good at, at coordinating the community and, uh, and getting people together. That's one of the things we want to talk about today is just this idea of how to, how to essentially find your niche in the data science community, how to leverage that niche into building a brand, and, uh, and how to leverage that brand into ultimately uh, job opportunities and, and op just opportunities to contribute in general, which I think is really important. Um, Sanyam, you have, I think among other things, you have this role as a, an engineer and content creator at h2o.ai. Um, sure. Maybe we can start there because it's such a, a kind of cool mix of these two areas that you specialize in. Do you mind explaining a little bit what that role looks like? Sure. Uh, but before that, thanks for having me on the podcast. I, I think uh, that's sort of a funny uh, introduction because I really enjoy it towards data science podcast that you host and I get to learn a lot, sort of get embarrassed a lot that I need to really improve my podcast. But uh, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> it's funny. Just before we started uh, turning on the, the recording for this one, I was just like taking in all this instruction from Sanyam, all this advice about how to set up our podcast. So I really appreciate the humility, Samyam, but uh, I think it's safe to say you're, you're very knowledgeable in these things. So sorry, please go ahead. Sure. Uh, so at h2.ai, we have uh, uh, our goal as a company is to democratize AI. And our internal slogan, the motto that we follow is makers going to make. And uh, people have their own interpretation. I've been interviewing our grandmasters trying to understand uh, their interpretation of it. My interpretation is uh, there's a lot of freedom to what we can do. And uh, for example, me as a person, I get to run this podcast. I get to uh, meet people. We have, I, I really enjoy talking to Kaggle Grandmasters and we have 18 Kaggle Grandmasters at H2O. So it's, it's really easy to just ping them on Slack, have them on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, uh, I am mostly driven by curiosity. In, in my previous interview, I told you that I sort of almost in, in a week or two gave up all of my various alleys to start this podcast because I wanted to. So there's, there's a lot of freedom. Uh, for example, we're teaching a course right now and I said, hey, I want to take up the deep learning module. 
and usually the questions that you would expect in the industry is why do you want to do that uh, and what we get to hear at estu is sure let us know how we can help uh, the other day I, i requested if i could start study group sure let us know uh, that sounds interesting maybe we'll join a call maybe we'll take a meet up as well that's that's really cool yeah so, it, it oh sorry go ahead so uh, my role it's it's pretty much a startup we uh, have a startup culture so i i have a lot of independence to do the podcast uh, work on other content ideas i guess we'll get into this a bit but uh, right now i'm sort of more focused on creating content for the community so it's it's total freedom it's it's a paradise for me because i get to explore all my ideas yeah and and it's funny because you know your again your job title mixes that kind of engineering piece with the content piece and i think to a lot of people those sound like two different jobs but nowadays especially you look at data science you look at data engineering machine learning engineering pretty well anything even software engineering you know the idea of building a brand in the space is so critical to getting any kind of job opportunities any kind of networking opportunities um can you speak to some of the so first off like how did you start uh content creation what was what was say the easiest path in and then what were some of the benefits uh, as far as kind of creating networking opportunities and and getting your way into working with companies and stuff like that sure uh it basically started as just i i went on medium i created an account and i wrote about the first idea that could come to my head how did this start uh, i took the world's best deep learning course i'm very biased but it's called fast.ai yeah and in uh, in that course jeremy howard the creator of the course really encourages people uh, to write blog posts and i guess that that was really helpful to me because i was an undergrad not that after graduation i become a start, smarter person at all but at that point i was really intimidated by uh, reading research papers at, apparently the norm at that time was you need to be able to read research papers contribute to github and he was this course that was teaching us just write a blog post about what you've learned literally in the last week and then jeremy howard himself would show our peers this is a really cool blog go check it out i, I can't think of a better motivator than that and that sort of kicked uh, things off for me So does that does that imply and and I totally agree with the blog post thing I think that's so critical not just because it puts your ideas out there but it also forces you to organize your ideas like w- when you build a project it's easy to say okay I've got the Jupyter notebook I've got the plots the the EDA and then I've got the the model evaluation at the end or whatever and then you kind of go okay I'm all done here but you haven't necessarily constructed a narrative around your project and really when you're interviewing um when you're pitching yourself to anyone it's the narrative that you're going to have to pitch you're going to have to tell a story around the project it's not going to be enough to say oh i've got a auc score of 0.95 and blah 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 like nobody really cares about that yeah. um so like was that was that something you noticed as well is that something that you found yourself like how did how did these blog posts play into your ability to like pitch yourself within the community or or to companies i guess one of the really neat hacks around uh, even sharing this would be just write a blog post and then talk about it present it and if if you're sad about people are not reading your blog post that'll help in that way and you'll also end up refining the blog post mm. people think you can't refine a blog post research papers get updated all the time go on archive you can see different versions you're allowed to edit the blog post uh, so that's that's how i went about it and uh, in terms of meeting people uh, i think i i also uh, think a lot about creating content that has a good uh, lifespan not 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 to sound too sophisticated but mm-hmm. if every day a new paper comes out in deep learning you you see it it's pretty much on top of your twitter uh, feed for a day or two 
now a you could uh, try to keep up with the hype and constantly create uh, blog posts around them that has their own importance uh, i i totally respect that then uh, but this other side of things as well uh, some foundational materials or uh, interviews so i i was more inclined towards eventually creating things that would last over a period so for example even people that would watch my interview with you today I, i'm sure they'll get a lot of insights of how can they get mentored in data science or how should they break into the field so yeah. that that was my thought process that makes a lot of sense i think this is one of those like one of the main reasons that you would blog rather than tweet about machine learning in the first place is you want to generate evergreen content the job search can last months so right off the bat that's a really important reason to have content that is you know constantly collecting views and and it's always relevant and then also yeah. you could always be on the job search like who knows a year and a half two years from now and if you can pull back those old blog posts and and you know use them for that as well it's just it's so so valuable what was helpful at that time to me was i was in college i wasn't legally allowed to have a job job and i was bored of the lectures so i i started consultancy and i figured out a way around the tax system you're allowed to have a tax break so i was this kid uh, living a tax free life earning money uh, enjoying it and i i, I found a we around uh, getting better opportunities which was find a job role uh, or a project that you're interested in working on create a small blog on it uh, and make sure i put in the story elements in there i think i would have removed these in in case like uh, so I, i would use a lot of pytorch 0.4 at that time and i now now removed the posts that uh, are redacted but at that time just write a post about it and send it to the person hey i worked on this project uh, i saw that you created a posting on this can i uh, get on a call can i work with you on this yeah i i i very strongly agree with this i think this is one of the things actually one of the biggest things we've seen at sharpest minds is like most people tend to overvalue a uh, very easy application strategies so like it's not not uncommon for me to talk to somebody who has applied to a job board our typical numbers are a job board application has about a 1 to 2% a probability of leading to an interview. And yeah. that's actually like I mean that's because of like the market incentives, market forces have hit this equilibrium where it's so easy to apply through a job board or through like LinkedIn easy apply that everybody is applying through those things and there's just a ton of noise <laughs> so your odds are really low whereas some of these other strategies like the one you're mentioning right now like where you invest an awful lot of time, what seems like an insane amount of time to write a blog post that's tailored to a specific job posting. um those are really undervalued and that's the way that you, that you tend to get noticed so at least from from what our our stats seem to say it's interesting that you've seen that as well it's uh, yeah I, i think it's not just specific to the uh, profile as well it, it remains on your profile right people will eventually read it uh, hopefully yeah. someone in the future and if if there's one posting about it sure there have to be other as well unless it's like yeah. very out of the blue project so it it will say there will help you in the long term as well That's true. Yeah, I guess in a way that I've I've started to think of job postings as almost like it's they're like training labels. They tell you what the ground truth is. Like this is what the market wants. <laughs> and then like every time you apply to a job posting, ideally you should learn from that process and then you should get better at the next one. And so connecting your content generation, whether that's building projects, writing blog posts or doing podcasts to a specific like job posting really helps you helps you hit that that ground truth, helps you use that label. Yeah. And early in college in in my second year uh, i would just apply to any job post at all try to get uh, an interview and i also made it to a bunch of interviews that were for senior positions and then later my uh, approach to this and i wouldn't recommend it 
I didn't mention that I was a student and people were happy with that fact. Uh, no one asked me anything. Yeah. The second approach was uh, I grew a pretty uh, big beard. So I would appear <laughs> elder That's than true. I was. Shaved, yeah. <laughs> and that would make people trust me more. So I would get into interviews and just understand what's actually happening here and how does the interviewing pipeline even look like. Just, right. just out of curiosity. And I, I looked at that as a free practice uh, ground for just taking interviews. I, I think that's actually like, first off, I, I love the, the boldness of that. Um, I, I think it actually reflects a, a deep truth with the, the hiring market, which is that so many of these, um, the, the kinds of uh, hoops that you're made to jump through during the application process are actually arbitrary and somewhat unserious. Yeah. So when people look at you know, a job application, they'll see like a whole bunch of requirements. And I don't think most people realize you only need to meet like 60 to 70% of the requirements to really be in a good spot for that job. Um, is, was that sort of part of what played into this, like you getting interviews for these senior roles, even though you were, you were just a student? <laughs> I would just uh, figure out the things that they would really want, try to understand that sometimes you can contact the people that are working there and see if I can work on those projects and just try to uh, build something small along those skills. And that's how it, it looked pretty natural to me because I was freelancing and that's how I pitched to uh, customers slash clients, whatever you want to call them. So it, it was natural to me at that point. And then I would ask uh, later on, hey, can I join an internship and join the complete role later on? I'm in my sophomore year right now, which would uh, annoy some people. <laughs> well, can you share an example of, of one of those sort of customizations or customized projects that you did that, that was focused on a particular uh, job opportunity? Um, sure. Uh, one that comes to my mind, uh, and this was also a project that I had worked on, so that was pretty convenient. Uh, it was building something along the lines of an OCR uh, recipient reader role. And I had uh, built an MVP of sorts in, in a freelance project. So I just moved that to the top of my resume, moved that to the top of my GitHub while applying. And that that uh, sort of got me into the role and uh, moved that also on to the top of uh, we're supposed to write a letter or something. I think it's statement of purpose. So just highlighted that and uh, that was pretty helpful. How, how much of an impact do you think um, moving things around on your resume, re rearranging your GitHub has? Um, I'm, I'm just curious about what your experience has been on that. I, I, I never did an A-B test. To me, that was natural that every company has their own interest and you would want your interests to align with their, them and their interests to align with yours as well. And this is true to uh, working with freelance uh, clients as well, because you're talking just with one person, I wouldn't want to annoy them and you'd want to agree with them. So to me, that was sort of a natural process of just selling myself, if I may, because that's, that's how I started mm -hmm. in freelance, which was just convincing the person that, hey, I, I will be able to do this uh, job that you, you've posted. Yeah, I just find it so interesting because it's again like this theme of very customized applications where you're investing a lot of time and attention to each company to make them feel like you're, you know, like the perfect fit for them rather than doing a spray and pray where you're just like, you know, sending out a hundred applications or whatever. <laughs> um, it's a uh, really interesting. Yeah. One of the uh, interesting things to me was I, I did a lot of repeat internships and uh, that's sort of also easy and interesting in one way. And the other way around that is when I would show up at my internship and I would be spending my lunch break, I'd just walk up to different people and, one thing I realized that uh, senior people really love sharing the knowledge. So I would just re reach out to them. Hey, I'm uh, working as an intern on this project. I'm just curious about what tasks are you working on? Uh, they tell me a few days later, I'll just look around Google up uh, 
create some basic script that would sort of put that together, show it to them. And that would later lead into a re- uh, return internship at the same company as well. Right. Yeah. I, I, I love that customization. It's all about making people feel special too, right? Because like, I don't know, I think it's, it's so easy for a job applicant to like abstract away the, all the personality traits of the people who are reviewing your resume or the people doing the interview and think of them as like these robots who don't have emotions, <laughs> who don't have like attention spans. And when yeah. you do that, you like, you miss out on all these really important strategies. It's, it's, it's fun. So it, in, in hindsight, I wasn't just doing this. I was just exploring and actually checking if I'm even capable of getting a job or if I'm even capable of making money while being in college. So I was just trying to uh, pattern match my way into it or sort of use re- uh, rewards uh, as an approach to orienting myself sort of in a reinforced learning fashion. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. So one thing I, I want to talk to you about absolutely is sort of the, the background behind you almost literally, which is this, the, the Chai Time uh, Data Science Podcast. So <laughs> you're, you decided to jump into this. I think you were doing, yeah. were you doing podcasts before, before H2O? Uh, yes, I had started uh, Chai Time Data Science, the podcast that I host. And it's it's kind of funny. Usually uh, behind me, I open the guest profile. Today, I was even sort of reluctant if I should even leave the podcast open, I guess. I still left no, it it's here. great. I, I think it's a great idea to, to, to the importance of personal brand, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I started this uh, it's around October last year, a few months before that, I guess. Uh, it was just... Uh, on the spot uh, decision, I had been interviewing people uh, in a blog post format mm-hmm. because uh, so I, I think there are two kind of introverts in computer science, right? One that look at their own shoes while they're talking to you and the other that look at your shoes while they're talking to you. I was sort of the first one. I was really uh, shy as a person. So I started with blog interviews, uh, reaching out to people, interviewing them in a blog format. Mm-hmm. That later felt like I was asking a person that I really respected to write a blog post for me. So I put that on right. a stop. Then I, uh, after I graduated, I thought, hey, now I have time. I could just start a podcast. And that's, that's pretty much over, overnight. That's how I decided to start the podcast. And, and so, so why a podcast? Because like, uh, the reason I ask is, I think a lot of people think that the podcast market is saturated. I personally, I don't think that's the case. I think there are specific reasons why it can really, really make sense to start a podcast, especially in data science or machine learning. Um, but do you have any thoughts about that? Like, what are, what are the key motivators that you would see as like, like that's a really good reason to start a podcast? In, so this, this would sound smart because I'm uh, sort of reflecting, but to me, everything is sort of driven by interest. So if I find something really exciting, I would just jump on it, just apply to a position. Uh, that's how I, I've been going around. That's how I started the fast day course or even freelancing because uh, I thought this is interesting. Let me try that. In hindsight, uh, and to people who feel discouraged about blog, uh, about podcasting, let's, let's take towards data science. It's, it's an amazing publication. How many blog posts do you see there and how many podcasts uh, do you see every week? One podcast versus so many blog posts, right? Yeah. Look at the competition. I, I think very few compared to and that's sort of an interesting way because uh, to me, uh, my blogs have reached a mark of a million uh, reads mm-hmm. and the podcast is at uh, sort of 120,000. That's one tenth less. But in terms of uh, listening experiences, almost twice uh, the time. So right. people have listened to this podcast now for five years. 
and that's sort of really crazy right that's a cool you, metric you you get to connect with people in a long format so people that connect yeah. with the podcast really get a bigger depth of knowledge i feel more uh, i i guess it's just an alternate form but i i really enjoy it yeah it, so one of the things that came out of i think i was speaking to kenji who who i think might uh, might be doing your podcast as well at some point um, thanks to you yes <laughs> oh well, yeah happy to connect you guys but so so he's got this big youtube channel i think um, you know he's you know 50,000 plus uh, subscribers type thing so you know he's pretty big and Ken one of the amazing. things yeah yeah i know he's great content and and one of the things that i thought was really cool that he brought up during our conversation was he said like you know, the big advantage to having um, a podcast, audio or video, is that when you then go to interview at a company, you can share some examples of your podcast and they've kind of like heard you talk before. So there's this feeling of intimacy, this feeling that you actually know the person on some level that transcends just the written word. And that kind of starts to bias things a little bit in your direction. It also shows that you're able to think on your feet and articulate thoughts. Um, so, uh, so anyway, it was that, was that something that like, had you been able to share, for example, uh, the, the Chai Time data science uh, show with, for example, H2O, when you applied, was that part of your application package? Definitely. Uh, and so I had already interviewed people from H2O on, on the blog series. So they already knew about me in, in some format and they had, they had, uh, I think right now they do as well, I hope, but I think at the company, they've really enjoyed the series. So uh, it, it was a factor for sure. That, that's brilliant. Actually, I love especially that idea of like targeting people within the company to interview them, <laughs> to get to know them. I mean, it's, it's really, it's a great way to do it. And at the very least, even if it doesn't go anywhere, you'll learn an awful lot about what it's like to work at that company. Like, were you able to, to benefit from that? Like, did you, did you learn any cultural kind of information or any, any technical information about the kind of work that they did at the company that maybe helped you downstream in interviews? For sure. Uh, and even otherwise, how I look at interviews is these are, I, who wouldn't want to uh, interview people that they really look up, look up to? Right. Who wouldn't want to ask them so many questions? Now I have an excuse. Hey, I'm going to broadcast this to a few people and they'll also yeah. get to learn. And they say yes most of the times. Yeah, it's amazing how open people are, right? Definitely. And uh, I, I had Sarah Hooker on the podcast. She said this really important thing, which was, when you're just starting out, you you wouldn't be able to estimate how many important people will open your email, and I completely agree with her. So, yeah. Yes, it it uh, in in hindsight, I've been exposed to so many different uh, cultures, region wise speaking as well. Uh, I think it's it's an interesting topic that even when I'm able to meet someone from Canada or from Europe, I know how to talk to them. I understand their uh, accent a little faster, which yeah. Is somewhat helpful. It, it helps you connect with them, I think, to a different level if, if you're able to talk in uh, their references. And so as well for their, their company cultures. Right. Yeah. No, and, and I think that those are all kind of really important aspects of this um, in, terms of, in terms of orienting yourself culturally. I, I think one of the cool things about what you've been up to, too, is you've been doing all this remote networking. So you've been essentially leveraging your podcast as maybe in the same way, and feel free to disagree or correct me on this, but in more or less the same way as a lot of people use meetups to sort of um, get some FaceTime with people to some degree when you can't be physically in the country because you're, uh, you're over in another time zone, basically. Um, can, you, can you speak a little bit to maybe how that maps onto meetups and then even what's happened as well in the time of COVID? Because I think that will have, have affected things a bit, potentially. Sure. Uh, so disclaimer, I've, I've never been to 
more than 10 meetups i think uh, in person meetups mm-hmm. so i really uh, those those are more awkward to me than online conversations i, I find it more awkward to approach people on the uh, in the real world than on the internet in the internet it's it's very easy to just drop a message on slack or zoom right. uh, but i i think yeah so for uh, even for interviewing people these are uh, i i try to reach out to people that i really look up to and uh, generally ask questions uh, that i can't find answers to about them so for example someone like you would have done a lot of podcasts so i wouldn't want to discuss the content that's already out there w- what am i even right. contributing there that's that's how i would approach this uh, and yes i i get to meet many people as well and so what are the hardest parts of um and i do want to get to the covid part of this too because i think there's an interesting story there in terms of like you started off remote by default yeah. and <laughs> So like, did that help you? Do you find like your networking ability? I mean, has it, has it improved? Has it basically been unchanged by the, the COVID situation? I, I would say unchanged. Uh, so I, I've committed to releasing two episodes every week for no reason. I'm a madman. I just want to pursue this for one year and then write madman on my resume. That's my goal with it. Uh, but I try to estimate uh, when will I be able to get someone on the podcast the estimate time is now longer compared to earlier because i know that uh, some people would be more busy at home uh, contrary to what people would believe apart from that the process has been same for me it's a little easier uh, because i don't have to correct uh, the other person's video but now everyone has a good enough setup i don't need to help them uh, set it up uh, otherwise it's it's unchanged it's still the same thing i'm still uh, asking stupid questions to really smart people all the time I think actually that's such an underrated aspect of the whole podcast situation is like, I think a lot of people don't feel tooled to ask good questions. And I, I honestly think ignorance is one of the best positions to come at this from. And not that you are, actually, I mean, you're unusually knowledgeable, but like, if you, if you don't know, if you're not a like cutting edge deep learning expert, um, you're in a better position to understand a certain kind of audience. Like it's no good if two super high level deep learning experts are communicating on that level such that no one else other than the people who attended NIPS already or um, in Europe's already uh, would be able to kind of take on board. Like you're actually performing a bigger service arguably if you approach it from a position of kind of humility and, and lack of knowledge even. I, I don't think it's, uh, it's humility. It's just that I try to do my homework and I would yeah. prepare the questions before reading the content about the person. So uh, for example, if I'm interviewing someone who's done a PhD, I would at least skim through their PhD, but I'd make sure that I'd have the questions ready before that so that I can ask the right questions that I don't know the answers to before reading that or b- prepare a theme before uh, knowing what they're exactly doing. So I have some context that I can bring up, but have questions that uh, outsiders would be interested in. Right. Sorry. Yeah. And I, that's a really good, a really good clarification. You definitely do want to prepare for the interview, but I guess it's like the kinds of, if you don't, if you're not an expert already in that field, you're in a great position to, to do that homework and come up with those, those really kind of more compelling questions potentially. I um, mean, I, I'm not an expert by any, any sense, but it sort of gives me a way to hand wave my argument, hand uh, yeah. wave my way into an argument if I have some context. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm more thinking for people who are using this as a way of, of networking and, and getting into the job search, that sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's usually a, a fair bit of imposter syndrome that goes into it. And I, I think it's, it's usually, you're going to do better than you think, at least in, in terms of just diving in. And like you said, people are more responsive than you might expect. Interviews will tend to go better than you, than you might expect, as long as you do your homework, 
which I totally agree. Um, on that note, what would you say the, the like hardest parts of doing a podcast consistently are? Like if somebody is looking to, to get into it for this networking value, like what are some of the things that they might not expect necessarily would be blockers and, and how do you overcome them? Um, I really enjoy it. So I just look at it as different challenges that I need to figure my way around. But for me, it's uh, almost disrespectful to the person that I've interviewed to request them. Hey, is it okay if I release this in a few weeks? I, I have a long queue now. What I tend to do is I record uh, 15 to 20 interviews in one month. That gives me a runway of three months. I have two months free uh, to learn other stuff. Right now I'm learning uh, different things in data science, EDA, et cetera, et cetera. So for those two months I study, then the cycle repeats again. So just to me, that scheduling part is sort of a challenge. Uh, apart from that, I, I really enjoy it. I just, people have been very kind to me. They always, uh, almost always say yes to my request. They get on the podcast. And a second challenge I would say would be coming up with interesting questions because people that I interview, they've given a lot of uh, interviews already, most of yeah. them. So to me, I also need to come up with uh, questions that they'd find interesting because that's where uh, I think people really enjoy a conversation. Not that if they keep giving the same answers over and over again. So just trying yeah. to find those gaps. Right. And, and including like impressing them to the point where they're willing to make an internal referral at the company. Like it really does require that kind of forethought, that sort of insight. Um, that's really interesting. So apart from podcasting, because you've been involved in a lot of different networking strategies, developing them. Um, what are some of your recommendations in terms of helping people network remotely? One thing I, I uh, really think, uh, I really don't understand why people do is they look at prerequisites of everything. I've never looked at job prerequisites, uh, never looked at book prerequisites, never looked at prerequisites of anything. Uh, when I started machine learning, the general consensus at my university was this is something that only masters and PhD students do. I was like, sure, mm. let me try it then. <laughs> I'll have lesser competition because there's there a lesser number of people in there. Right. So just show up at any meetup that you even remotely find interesting. Now it's just Zoom calls. Just show up there. Even if you don't know anything about the topic, I would join meetups that are in their fifth uh, run. So four meetups have already happened. I have zero context. But I would just jump on the call, uh, see what I can learn, ask respectfully and sincerely, hey, I'm new. Uh, this is what I'm interested in. Uh, ask a few questions. And I think uh, that's, that's also an interesting way to learn and even meet people. Interesting. Are you, would you say you're an introvert, by the way? I would say yes. Okay. So how do you, because I know a lot of, I'm, I'm an introvert, a, a ton of uh, data scientists and machine learning engineers people who live in that world of sort of, you know, highly technical work um, often are introverts. It's not to say that they all are, but how have you overcome that? I mean, introversion manifests in different ways, but like, have, do you have techniques that you've used to just get you over that hump of saying, okay, you know, I'm just going to reach out to this person. I'm just going to do this thing that feels really uncomfortable. Me as an introvert. Um, and I think most introverts really enjoy planning a lot because <laughs> for no reason, yeah. I think there's, there's no reason to that. So I would have a concrete plan of things I would uh, want to do, even with the podcast, uh, just having ideas noted down, that makes it easier rather than keeping the conversation flowing nicely. Uh, it doesn't come naturally to me, I think. Uh, so just having those as a backup now, I don't really need it sometimes, but that's sort of helpful. Even when I go to meetups, just doing my homework, having a few things ready, 
that I want to ask, I want to learn. Uh, that's that's helpful to me. Interesting. And do you find it draining? Like because because you have that introversion, do you find yourself sort of uh, do you find it difficult to get motivated to show up to a meetup or to to record a podcast? I don't think so. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy learning. Uh, that's that's my understanding of it. Uh, but by default, left in a room, I would sit in a quiet corner. So I am right. sort of the, uh, that. Uh, I, I, in in the podcast format, that's interesting because I know I'm going to talk to the person. I'm going to yeah. interview them. So I'm so m- more prepared. Uh, and I go in uh, with that mindset. Okay. So, so that actually, I guess, that aligns well with what you were talking about earlier in terms of preferring to do one-on-one podcast style conversations rather than going to a meetup. Um, I guess for that reason, right? In a meetup, you're more kind of having to struggle with that, that initial introduction. Yeah, I, I find it awkward to walk up to people, introduce myself and talk about uh, different things uh, because it, it is sort of awkward. You're trying to break the ice. In uh, podcasting, it's, it's easier because I, I know plenty about the person when I'm going to interview them. Yeah. So that's, that's easier. Uh, one another thing that I find uh, helpful for meeting people at meetups is if you want to meet people, host a talk or just host the meetup. People right. will be forced to talk to you. I do that a lot. <laughs> makes, makes my life easier. And it's also uh, uh, people really enjoy or uh, really respect the fact that if, if you start a session uh, and if, if you're worried that no one would join, just join a group, drop a message. Hey, I want to learn this. Would anyone like to join me? Yeah. I, I can guarantee you more, more, uh, you, you'll, you'll have an audience more uh, of more than what you'd expect. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I really like this because it's, it's, I think there's a lot to this idea of tailoring your networking strategy to your personality. I think most people tend to look at this as something that, you know, I, I should, I should send LinkedIn messages. I should attend meetups. I should do a podcast or whatever, but really depending on the way you respond to social interaction, like a meetup, uh, is, these are things that I, I just dread. They're just not my space either, <laughs> partly because of that introversion thing. Um, whereas, yeah, a podcast does feel more intimate. It can feel awkward sending that original reach out message, but, but that's where your competitive advantage is probably going to lie because you're going to be able to connect with somebody a little bit more deeply. Um, it, it's going to be perhaps a more meaningful interaction in that sense. Uh, for extroverts, you know, maybe, maybe a meetup makes sense. Maybe that's the sort of thing where your comparative advantage lies in your ability to like, you know, show up in person and, and really kind yeah. of uh, engage people. And on, on the topic, I think uh, we, we've talked about this earlier, offline, online as well. Uh, in, in the startup world, we say 80% is good enough. And yeah. I think that uh, that's one thing I've learned a lot, which is uh, I don't need to know X much to be able to interview someone who's doing a PhD. If I do my homework uh, to an enough extent, that's that's good enough. If I prepare, uh, sometimes I'd prepare for one week, 10 days even, uh, just reading up, doing my homework, that's good enough. I, I don't need to cover every single uh, thing out there. Yeah, actually, and so I, I love that point. Um, I think I think there's a sense in which, again, for, for introverts, I, I'm speaking to people like us here mostly, yeah. but there's there's something magical about the process of setting up a podcast where you're able to separate the key steps of the engagement that otherwise you'd be procrastinating on forever. So you can tell yourself, for example, okay, by Friday, I will have messaged like X many people on Twitter or by email. And then like, once you've messaged them, right, you're like, you're committed. So now you're like, you're going to do your homework and get ready for that episode. 
Um, yeah. So it has a way of, of bringing the, the long-term aspirational you in touch with the short-term like limbic reward you who just doesn't want to get out of bed and do anything. As long That's as you take those simple actions that commit you, yeah, to like downstream uh, consequences, then you're in the game. Absolutely. And uh, I think uh, what's been helpful to me, pretty much anyone in STEM is sort of a perfectionist. They'd like to really work on things, especially if you're on the internet, the Twitter machine learning community really shows nice projects. But instead, what was helpful to me, even with blogging, I had committed to one blog a week schedule, uh, which was pretty crazy to me now seems less crazy because now I've committed to two episodes every week. So I need to make that happen. And it's not a matter. I need to also ensure that these are up to a standard, not, not trying to act uh, too smart or talk too wise, but I try to keep them up to a standard. Uh, the audio and video quality are different aspects, but even the questions up to a standard. So now I need to make sure that that happens in the schedule. Otherwise I'm sure I would have never even published anything at all. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. The 80, 20 rules is so important and it holds back so much like, letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. You're never going to release those podcasts. You're never going to get the opportunity to talk to more people if, if that's what you do. Um, I guess that applies to just sort of a, at a data science level as well. There are variants on this, but when you build a project, for example, it's very easy to say, oh, well, I need to do this extra piece of work. I need to like, I don't know, I need to make my, uh, my front end prettier. I need to uh, use a different kind of like more efficient query here or whatever. But at a certain point, like you just have to launch, you just have to put the, the project out there or the podcast out there. Uh, do you have any advice for people who might be struggling with that, that moment of, of saying like, how do I, how do I hit that, that big button? How do I post it to the internet? Um, there's, there's always an hesitance to that. I feel even, even still, uh, so I don't mind uh, looking like an idiot on my podcast because I know I'm the biggest idiot on my podcast that shows up in every single episode. That sort of makes me... You're, like you're leaving out the episodes that uh, that I've been on, but yeah. Um, I, I won't argue on that because you will <laughs> keep disagreeing. I'll keep disagreeing. Um, but yeah, so committing to it and uh, usually trying to get some honest feedback is helpful. People... There'll always be people that uh, really enjoy uh, whatever you're doing. Some people will be critical. Some will pass on uh, negative comments, no matter what. So, and and this is another interesting topic, which I've become interested in because whenever you've committed yourself to during the initial period, whatever you put out won't matter as much or it won't be as great just because you're learning. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. me, I, let, let me just put it, uh, keep it to myself because I don't want to offense, offend anyone. To me, uh, it's also important that I don't spam anyone or I don't create something that I think is really important. And it's just something that I've learned in the last week, last month. So figure out what you want to do, figure out uh, where you are and don't, uh, to me, that's just, just my advice to myself. Don't take too much pride in what I've put together. If it's, if it's something that I've just learned last month, that's all I know about it. I probably know less than a percent. So don't, yeah. don't expect it to uh, be something greater than that. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. I think it, there's a sense in which when you, when you start to collaborate with people, especially in industry, when you start to w- work with machine learning engineers, even like, uh, like machine learning researchers, you start to realize just how many open questions people have day to day and how loose people are with saying like, yeah, you know what? Like, I, I'm not sure I know how the atom optimizer works. Like, or I, I'm not sure I know like, how, how does OOB error work again? Like th- these kinds of things where 
you, you tend to think that companies expect perfection because the job interview seems, it kind of seems like school in a way. It fools you into thinking that you're supposed to put your, your correct answer in this perfect little box. Yeah. And if you don't put the answer there, you're wrong and you're not going to get the job or whatever. But in reality, it's this much more fluid, dynamic and collaborative process. Um, and I, I don't know, does that come across during, during interviews as well? Like that, that sort of openness that you get from, from revealing to yourself your own shortcomings and ignorance, like does that translate into, into the, the job interview? Absolutely. Uh, one thing I really uh, respected or really uh, enjoyed while uh, joining H2O uh, and every, I, I'm not sure if every job contract has this, but this was my first full-time role. At the bottom of the contract that I signed, uh, there was a note which is, uh, we hope you find this and uh, to be an interesting challenge, something along these lines, I don't remember the exact words, an interesting challenge and you get to learn a lot. To me, I, at college, anticipated that I would learn everything right now and then join a job. I was right. so wrong. You get to, the, the actual learning starts when you join a role. And that's, that's true to, I think, even interviews uh, on the podcast or job interviews, you get to learn a lot and optimize in different ways. I feel like at least that's, that's been my experience. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a, a really important aspect of it too. Cause we do tend to freeze up more when we, when we start thinking of the job interview as an adversarial process, when we start to think of like the interviewer is like this teacher who's checking your homework and then like, you better have done it. And if you haven't, then you're in trouble. <laughs> like that, that takes away to some degree, your ability to have that fluid productive conversation that is what every interview feels like ideally. I mean, you know, I, I know when, when we've hired a, sharpest minds like we've been most impressed when we have a candidate who comes in and says like yeah you know i don't know what i do in this situation um what would you do in this situation and then all of a sudden you're having this kind of this dialogue and you're like oh i'm starting to get a feel for how it would be like to work with this person um in in job interviews or even uh, otherwise one thing that i found people really enjoy is if you don't know something and if you look it up so let's say in uh, coding rounds you uh, sharing your screen and you end up Googling a term, looking up a term and then implementing on spot. That's uh, some right. people would take as, uh, in, in uh, memory it as a very negative point. And some engineers really respected that, hey, this person was able to look this up, implement it then and there and make it work. And that's, that's how I think a lot of things happen in industry. You, you're given a deadline, you need to pull it together and push to production. Yeah, there's so many, so there's so many things like that, right? Where the the more comfortable you can get in your own skin, the more, the more you can accept your own level of ignorance or your own level of just basic curiosity. Um, I think it ends up looking something like humility, but I think you're right. It's not quite humility. It's not quite the same thing. It's, it's yeah. comfort, right? I mean, you, so you sort of get a framework on how to navigate things. Uh, I think that that would be one okay way to put it, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a critical ingredient of not just collaboration, but also doing those interviews, I think. And it, anyway, it's, it's something that the most outstanding candidates I've ever seen, they always embody that, that characteristic. You know, you have what feels like a dialogue because they're admitting ignorance, but then they ask questions that kind of like, as the interviewer, you, you kind of go, oh man, I actually, I'm not sure what our numbers are for that. Like, uh, mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe you're looking stuff up and they're looking stuff up. That's an amazing interview when, when you, you hit that point. Yeah. And, and you're polishing those skills for your podcast too, right? I mean, that's part of the advantage. Yes. Uh, podcast, I think it's more, more soft skills, but also some knowledge mm -hmm. because I, I get to get some insights. 
another thing uh, that i want to mention is uh, when at least on the internet you read different things it's sort of a requirement for the best the ideal uh, the data scientist uh, that the world would want in right. reality uh, when you seeking a job you'd want to figure out how to make money using the skills that you have which is not to disrespect the profession but you need to get into an industry and then figure out how can you learn there how can you grow there that's right. that's one thing i was very wrong about that i need to absolutely know xyz to be able to contribute to something otherwise i am of no use so what are the kinds of things that that mentality caused you to overemphasize when you were in the job search what sorts of things did you spend time on that now in retrospect you you might not spend as much time on um so to me i i don't think there were any uh, to be completely honest there weren't any uh, frameworks around it it was just driven by my curiosity pretty much so they <laughs> I guess, sorry, I guess I mean like when you're thinking, you know, when you approach a data science job and you tell yourself, well, there's this like this ideal of the, you know, full stack data scientist mm. who can do clustering, who can do classification, they can do deep learning, they can do time series, they, they do everything. Um, gotcha. And yeah, so like, like, how do you, what are some of the, what would you have done? Um, or how would you have interpreted blog posts that say like, oh yeah, he, like here's the, the, the full stack data scientist, you need to know all these things. Like how would your attitude have changed knowing then what you know now? Gotcha. So, sorry for misinterpreting that. No, no. Um, I think look at a job role and see or how I would approach it is just talk to the person and see if I'd find that problem interesting enough to solve. and people really look at uh, i would look at different things and think if i be able to solve it once you get into a software role or anything in stem you'd get bored very fast if you're repeating the same stuff so you'd want to find challenging problems that a can be solved b can be solved by you so that mm-hmm. would be my advice uh, to me which is to look for things that i'd be interested in solving and be able to solve myself yeah i i definitely agree i think it's like you know you said earlier you need to find a way to make money with your skills and i actually agree i think it's it's easy to lose sight of like what the function of money is in the economy in the ideal sense so money one of its properties is that it conveys information right so like if a problem is more valuable to solve in general um it will tend to be associated with some financial compensation And so when you look up companies and you look up job descriptions and ask yourself like okay people are paying good amounts of money to get people to solve these kinds of problems one of the things i think you'll start to notice is that often those job descriptions have clusters and mm-hmm. those clusters don't involve knowing everything yeah. one cluster might be focused on like you need to get really good at doing sentiment analysis on customer review data and if you get really good at that skill set that does not involve um doing time series analysis it generally doesn't involve doing reinforcement learning it won't inv- you know there are a whole bunch of things that it immediately excludes completely and then you're able to just spend all your time on this core skill set that you know is packaged in such a way as to fit into this like little market niche that's associated with well defined jobs um is is that something that you've observed as well is that is that a, a technique that you've sort of been leveraging i i completely agree with that uh, i could have couldn't have put it more more nicely to me uh and we we talked about this but to me uh, i i started with freelancing so mm-hmm. i would really value my r based on what i was built and that sort of put me in the perspective of really respecting my own time as a student which to me was very counterintuitive because uh, pretty much i'd just be otherwise wasting my time all day 
so that's that's how uh, i would look at how can i maximize uh, what i give some person whom i'm working with in a few hours so, uh, to an extent that they get more value out of it and that's true to any company as well right uh, they uh, in data science you get some what higher salaries that's the norm that's because they get more value out of that role and you need to figure out how can you contribute to that role uh, that's that's my reflection on it in in hindsight i guess and in terms of freelancing like so i've never freelanced uh, online but did so what websites did you use and, and how did you get your first freelancing gigs back in the day through meeting people in communities so that's that's why uh-huh. i really uh, love it and i have a uh, title that i've given myself which is community taught uh, ml engineer even though yeah. i had a cs degree i don't think that helped me make a bit uh, me become a better coder at all or any of the uh, sentiments that prevail in the community so i would just reach out to people uh, in different slack communities and this was interesting because i wasn't bounded by my university so i wasn't talking to my peers who had some perspective hey i know this person he did xyz and we all yeah. should do this i know this person who did a masters they got a job in canada or in the us i'm going to do that and now everyone yeah. is sort of trying to do that instead i would just take any or all online courses sort of brute force my way around it and that wasn't as helpful as the slack communities around it where i would just talk to people hey i found this interesting i i don't know if you worked on it because people of all different backgrounds would be there and uh, i just connected with someone who was uh, at the time looking for some project that i was sort of just playing around that's how the connect happened and that was very easy to me compared to what people would perceive how hard uh, freelancing is right yeah no absolutely and in a higher quality connection too um yeah it just really consistently seems like no matter how no matter how often i i find myself recommending this sort of thing it seems like people still undervalue these <laughs> sorts of approaches um there's such a pull towards doing the generic thing and like like going for the job board going for uh linkedin or whatever and really this community building it's part of building your brand too right i mean it's part of building equity in a, in a community i've been able to convince my roommate from college uh, to go to canada join a university with minimum requirements join sharpest minds and show up at every meetup so i have been able to sell him to this approach and he's really a fan of this approach as well Amazing. Well, we'll look forward to having him. Yeah, I, I think that's actually, that's one thing. Um, obviously, like Sharpest Minds is one way to do mentorship. And like we, we do income share based mentorships and all that. But I do think there's also like, there's a potential to get um, a certain amount, at least of free mentorship in the community, and just like reaching out to people. Do you have any tips about that? Like, I guess just to preface, one thing I've seen, I've seen people and people have reached out to me on LinkedIn this way, they'll be, they'll be like, hey, like, um can you mentor me can you be my mentor in their initial message and that doesn't tend to work super well with most people um so then that leads to the question yeah like how should people approach this if you do want that mentorship how should you go about uh, exploring that possibility i guess uh, people don't realize since it's very easy now to contact different people uh, you'd want to stand out uh, which is obvious to right. any single thing whatever is common uh, doesn't stand out So when you're reaching out to someone who you're looking to get mentored from, if you just leave a hi, how are you, and expect an reply, you wouldn't get it. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's counterintuitive, but you're also sort sort of trying to be polite. So ask a directed question. That's one thing I've learned. People love sharing their knowledge. At least someone who has 
a good amount of knowledge would love to answer your question, especially if it's related to their interests. So for example, if I was to reach out to you, I would ask, Hey, Jeremy, I know you're uh, involved in the Canada hiring scene. I was looking to join a role in machine learning. Um, do you know where should I apply or uh, which community should I reach out to? Uh, mm -hmm. That would be my message. Yeah. And actually w one thing too, on, on that note is at least uh, what I found successful when we've been A-B testing different things at Sharpest Minds is if you can find a piece of content that the person you're reaching out to has written, uh, a yeah. blog post, a podcast, a uh, project on GitHub, like flag it in there. Hey, I saw this work that you did. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Would love to talk about it. Um, you know, people love to talk about themselves. And if you can, so if you can kind of prompt that sort of thinking, then it's a good way to get somebody's attention. Yeah. But make sure you read it because the other person will yes. know really fast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, do your homework seems to be one of the big themes of today's conversation. <laughs> Great. So is there anything else you want to you wanna toss out there, uh, Sanyam? Any, any thoughts, any final thoughts about networking or community building? Um, I think now is a good time if you have a good enough internet to enjoy this podcast. Uh, hopefully you didn't make it through the entire conversation because I would have bored you. But if you did... Uh, join any online community if you have the time. Uh, at store.ai we're running a course uh, where even a few Kaggle Grandmasters, the top uh, 10 in the world, actually the former one just taught a lecture, former number one on competitions, just taught oh, a nice. lecture. You, could, you can find all of this knowledge uh, freely everywhere. Everyone is doing online meetups. Just show up at one. If you're new to machine learning, show up at any meetup. Most mm -hmm. of us... Uh, have a good amount of idea about what we're talking about, but not an idea about the field. Ask as many questions, uh, use a pseudonym on the internet if you're too shy right. about your reputation. And uh, just use this opportunity, I would say, uh, just join communities, uh, listen to podcasts, now would be a good time. You can also watch them, uh, join any lecture groups. I, I think now is, now is a great time because college is more of a streaming service at this time. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. The human, the human element is like the biggest differentiator at this point. So that's, that's great. All right. Really appreciate it. Um, Sanyam, can you actually, can you share your Twitter handle? I know you're active on Twitter. So sure. Uh, it's Bhutani Sanyam one, my second name followed by my first name. Uh, or uh, you could check out the podcast. If the audience is curious, I, I release two episodes every week. It's just CTDS talk show. Perfect. All right. We'll, we'll link to all that too. We have a blog post that will accompany the podcast. If you're watching or listening, you can go check that out too on uh, towards data science. I was going to say towardsdatascience.com, but I'm sure it's there. I think you can also get it though through, uh, through Medium. So thanks so much, Sanyam. Really appreciate it. Uh, have a great rest of day and thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much for having me. And it's, it's always really uh, great to talk to you. Thank you so much.